0: Hello, it's Tom here, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jameelcast. All of our episodes so far have mostly revolved around a subset of diseases we call communicable diseases, i.e., diseases that can be passed from one person to another. Today, we now turn our attention to the world of non communicable diseases and speak with Dr. Bin Drew about his work in this field, monitoring the world's burden of these conditions with a specific
1: focus on hypertension. I've heard stories of people bragging that they have a high blood pressure, very high blood pressure. They just live their life as if it doesn't exist. But over time, there will be consequences if you let it be ignored. All that and more on this week's episode of Jamilcast.
0: Non-communicable diseases, or NCDs for short, don't always get as much traffic in the news cycle, mostly down to the fact of just how widespread they are. You almost certainly will know someone yourself who
1: suffers from one of the many NCDs that threaten the world's population. Non-communicable diseases are conditions that are not caused by an acute infection, like a CD, and they usually result in long-term health consequences and long-term treatment and uh, care. So they are also known as uh, chronic diseases as well. Examples include cancer, uh, hypertension, diabetes, uh, more generally heart disease, kidney disease or any kind of long-term injury and mental health disorders. So it's a very broad bag of conditions, if you like. And globally, it kills over 40 million people every year, which is equivalent to over 70% of all deaths in the world in a year. And sadly, 17 million of the 40 million deaths happens before the age of 70, meaning that these people, if not for the chronic conditions they had, could have lived a much longer life. Tracking and treating NCDs, then, is one of the most effective ways to help
0: improve the health of the world's population. A huge majority of these NCDs all start off from one place, and that's hypertension which is simply the medical term for high blood pressure. Now all manner of things can take their toll on increasing a person's blood pressure. Unhealthy foods, not enough exercise, smoking, stress. And while these may sound like all the trappings of our modern world, humanity has known about hypertension for quite a long
1: time. Hypertension is just a fancy way of saying basically high blood pressure. If you have worked with your boiler, you would have noticed there's a pressure meter on your boiler. It's needed to be able to distribute the hot water throughout your house. And the same thing applies for the heart to distribute blood throughout your body. And if that pressure is too high, the blood vessel may break. Over time, you could put pressure on your organs like your kidney. During the pandemic, we also learned that having high blood pressure is also make one vulnerable to uh, uh, CDs um, like COVID, which all makes hypertension really important to understand. It may surprise you to learn how long we've known hypertension as a disease, as a, as a human race. Ancient physicians in China, Egypt, and India many thousand years ago in their separate works have mentioned findings relating the quality of the pulse of a person to their health status. For example, the Yellow Emperor of China stated, I quote, if too much salt is used in food, the pulse hardens. And this understanding could not, of course, be further without a formal understanding of what it is that is hardening the pulse of the people that's being observed by these ancient physicians. And so the first measurements of blood pressure levels was done during a limp amputation in the 1850s using a mercury manometer. I don't think you need me to say that to you. It is not practical to do that in our everyday life. You can't cut someone's vessel open to measure blood pressure. So it is not until the indirect measurement methods came into existence that we were able to actually measure blood pressures on a much wider populations. The final piece of the jigsaw was developed by a Russian surgeon, Krotkov, in 1905, which uses a stethoscope to listen to the sound inside the vessel to identify phases where blood flow was completely stopped by the pressure applied externally, and when the blood flow returned to normal when the pressure was relieved. So if you have had your blood pressure measured, you would know that there was some inflated cuff. They were listening to the sounds while the deflation happens, and that will determine the high and the low a pressure inside your uh, blood vessel. It was long known that blood pressure increases with age, but it was thought that it was a normal process of aging. It was first by the insurance studies in the America that observed a relationship between the mortality of the insurees and the blood pressure level of them. And it was really came to the attention of everybody when The American president, Frank D. Roosevelt, died of complications of extremely high blood pressure, which later led to the National Heart Act demanding to start a study to understand uh, heart disease better, the landmark study of Framingham Heart Study in the US, which basically shaped our understanding of heart disease and blood pressure and many, many other risk factors.
0: The last 70 years have seen huge advances in our understanding of how our blood pressure affects our mortality risks. Your risk of having heart disease or a stroke doubles for every 20-unit increase in your systolic blood pressure. That's the higher of the two numbers your doctor gives you. This increased risk starts from any point, meaning that there isn't simply some threshold which dictates safe blood pressure from dangerous blood pressure you just want it to stay as low as possible. This risk increase has been observed in multiple studies all across the world. It's a finding the scientific community can be incredibly confident about. Some good news, though, is that unlike some of the other diseases we've learned about in previous episodes, medicines for treating high blood pressure are very effective and very cheap. The main actions needed from health services then are 1. Making sure you monitor your population's blood pressure regularly And two, deciding at what level of blood pressure you start intervening.
1: There are still debates within the blood pressure research. For example, how high of a blood pressure is too high. There is increased risk even when the blood pressure level is uh, not that high. But then if you account for the fact that the patients have to take a pill to, to treat the blood pressure level, that will come as a cause even though that cause is low. And in older people, that may lead to episodes of low blood pressure that may lead to risks of falling and lead to injury, which is a big risk for the older population. There isn't yet a full agreement across the scientific society how, where that threshold should be. Over time, it's been reduced to 150. And what to 140, and more recently, it's further lower to 135 and 130, depending on whether there are other co occurring risk factors like obesity or diabetes, and so on. That bar has been moving down gradually over the past few decades. And there is also an interesting contrast between the American medical communities and the European medical communities. Usually it's the Americans to come out and say, well, the current bar is too high, we need to lower it. And Europeans will resist for a while, and then later they will catch on. Right now the Americans are saying we need to go down to 135, 130. I think in Europe we are still holding up to 140. So um, we'll see whether there will be more evidence coming up of the benefits and costs of going 140 versus 130, whether European societies will catch on. The other really unsolved myth is that blood pressure is actually coming down in a lot of the high-income countries so while some of the uh, decline would be attributed to uh, the treatment of people with hypertension of course but that's not the only driving factor so we still don't yet know fully why blood pressure in the entire population is changing we don't fully know why it's coming down in many of the high-income countries but on the other hand more importantly it is rising very rapidly in many of the low and middle income countries we of course have hypotheses of why that's happening but hence it is difficult to actually intervene to stop the rises at population level now as i said
0: earlier the challenge
1: with many other diseases is the huge expense of
0: testing and the real lack of information on the real world burden of these diseases with hypertension the current challenge that bins work tackles is sort of the other way around For a pretty small fee, you can buy a blood pressure monitor and use that to go around testing thousands of people's blood pressure. There's no need for sample collection or lab costs or scans like with some diseases, and the training that staff need to take such measurements is a lot simpler too. As a result, there are thousands of scientific papers and public health datasets out there reporting blood pressure in communities worldwide. And each of these datasets is like a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle makes up a picture of the whole world's blood pressure throughout time. Where is it getting worse? Where is it getting better? Which countries have got it under control? Which countries haven't? Where health campaigns are working and where they failed? Bin's job then is to
1: put all of these jigsaw pieces together. My mission is to use the best data to understand the burden of hypertension or blood pressure globally. So this is done as part of a global collaboration, which is called a non-communicable disease risk factor collaboration, or NCD risk for short. This is a network of over 1,500 researchers and clinicians all around the world who have collected data on a wide range of risk factors for non-clinical diseases, including blood pressure, as well as obesity, diabetes, and so on. There are several kinds of studies that we pull on uh, in our collaboration. Big national health examination surveys, like in the UK, that would be the health survey for England. And in the USA, national health and nutrition survey, where the researchers go to a randomly selected parts of the country every year to measure a randomly selected Uh, individuals of their risk factor levels together with many other like uh, age whether they smoke or not and so on and so forth. These give us a snapshot of the health status of the nation as a whole but there are a lot more other smaller studies which are done for example in some parts of London which also provides us with some information about that particular community that researchers have gone to or it could be a remote village in Ghana, for example, or it could be one particular city in Brazil, for example. These studies provide valuable information about the health of the population they have covered, but not necessarily reflects what's happening in the country as a whole. We use some statistical methods to quantify these potential differences and then take them into account when we make estimates using all the data together. And different studies could have been done in different times. We could have a national survey that was done last year, which will give you a very good idea as to what the blood pressure or obesity level would have been uh, today, right? But if that survey was done 20 years ago, it doesn't necessarily tell us as much about uh, what the levels would have been today, but it gives us some information. And finally, as I said, blood pressure increases with age, and different studies might have covered different age groups. A study could have measured everyone aged between zero and whatever, uh, 120 years of age. Another study, because of their specific research question or funding limitations, might have only covered people aged 30 to 69. We make estimates for a consistently defined uh, age range, which means that the results are comparable. It's not subject to uh, the fact that blood pressure might change by age, and ages may may be different when you look at different countries.
0: Bin makes that sound a lot easier than it is. If you go out to, I don't know, 10,000 people and ask them all to record their blood pressure data and send it to you, you're going to get that information back in a lot of different forms. Some people might give you a well-formatted Excel document with precise readings, the date and time of when and where it was recorded. Other people might send you a number scribbled on the back of a napkin. The point being that to analyse all these individual data sets, to put together all those thousands of jigsaw pieces, is a lot of slow-going, arduous work. It has to be formatted, cleaned,
1: converted, sanity-checked. They may come in all kinds of formats, you name it. We've seen data in Excel spreadsheets, SPSS data formats, SAS data formats, all kinds of statistical softwares that a researcher happens to be using, you name it. We've seen all, all of them. Nonetheless,
0: Bin and the whole NCD risk team have done that difficult work and have made this amazing completed jigsaw puzzle available for free access to the entire scientific community. You could log onto to their website right now and download it all for yourself if you wanted to. But it's the findings you're probably most interested in. And Bin and colleagues have uncovered some pretty interesting dynamic trends in hypertension. Trends only visible from this stitched together jumbo data set that they've made.
1: One of the key findings of our results was that blood pressure has been declining instead of increasing in most of the high-income countries. And on the other hand, it has been rising in most of the low- and middle-income ones. Hypertension has been called the disease of affluence in the past, but it is certainly no longer the case nowadays. And that has serious consequences. My research has also shown that these low- and middle-income countries, especially those in Africa and in South Asia, they not only have a high level of hypertension, they are also treated very badly. Out of 100 patients with hypertension in an African country, 55 to 60 of the 100 patients don't even know they have hypertension. And of the 45 who actually know, in some cases, only one or two of them have had the blood pressure reduced to the level that medical societies recommend. So this represents a huge, huge, huge missed opportunity to prevent the, the consequences of having high blood pressure in these countries. And this will lead to high costs of managing uh, non communicable diseases in these places because it's usually cheaper if you intervene earlier. Medication is really cheap to give to the patients, but if you wait for them to have a stroke, to have a heart attack, it's much more expensive to treat them in the population, let alone the actual suffering and loss of lives of these patients the other thing is that despite the rosy picture i have painted for the high income countries the improvements in hypertension and its management seems to have stopped in the past 10 or 15 years and it's not to say that they have reached the optimal level there is no room anymore for improvements in the country with the best performance of treating hypertension, which is Canada, they have only reached as a nation 75% of control, meaning that 75 patients out of 100 who have hypertension have reduced their blood pressure to the level that medical society recommends. But still there are 25 who have not that's the best performing countries. What's happening in this country is that half of the patients with hypertension have not got their blood pressure under control. That is a big gap compared not only to the 100% absolute target, but also to the best performing countries. So we pride ourselves in the national health services, NHS systems in this country, but at least for hypertension treatment, UK is not really doing very well globally. This piece of research caught the attention of NHS
0: representatives, causing them to reach out to Professor Majid Izati, head of the NCD Risk Group and another Jamil Institute member. As a direct result from Bin and the team's work, new consultations are now underway, highlighting the urgent need for renewed efforts in managing the UK's blood pressure to get us more in line with that of our comparable neighbours. It's a textbook example of why all this work is so important and the insights it can provide. But being able to see how things continue to develop will mean more ongoing work, more analyses conducted, more
1: jigsaw pieces integrated, and all for a very valuable cause. We are getting data all the time from different people, and we need to update our estimates uh, every once in a while. And then these things need to be continuously maintained And during this process, we will have questions that we can't solve by just looking at the data and documents they have provided with us. We have to write to them and sometimes have a call with them to understand what it is going on in the data that just didn't make sense and then to to make sense of it and then put it back into the database to be used by the analysis. So there's a lot of dirty data work and people-to-people communication work. And also there is a lot of politics as well involved because people don't necessarily always want to share their data. So you need to convince them, right? That we will provide the necessary measures to keep their data safe. They will benefit from collaboration and so on and so forth. So all these things is an essential part of the research and we can't really do any of this without any of those elements that I've mentioned. I think I should mention a story I heard from the PI of our group, uh, Professor Majidizati. He described how the effort started uh, many years ago, before I joined the collaboration. He was working with the colleagues, and they were looking at some original results they have gotten from the work they have done. And they thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could do this for all the countries in the world? And that's when they started to reach out to researchers all around the world and to ask them to share data with them. And the the initial expectation is we would do well if we can collect 500 data sources out of this process. And here we are many years later. We have uh, collected, I don't know, 3,000, 4,000 data sources covering a period of 40, 50 years of time for, um, I think for 196 countries around the world i think this shows how much an idea could grow uh, once you put enough efforts and tools and uh, really hard work behind it and it also speaks volumes to the goodwill of the scientific community to collaborate because at the end of the day if nobody share data with us we can't do any of these In the
0: interest of time alone, we've focused on hypertension today. But Bin and NCD Risks' work covers all manner of NCDs. Diabetes, obesity. You can keep up to date with all their findings as they happen. Straight from their website, in the show notes. Thanks for listening in to another episode of Jamilcast. This week with Bin Drew and me, Tom Rawson.